if you're joining us for the first time uh, this morning, we have started a series called A Dangerous Vision where we are looking at what it means to be uh, the church, particularly what it means for us at Southside. And so we're looking at five core values, characteristics, commitments of what it means to be a healthy church, but also a healthy disciple. And so the first one we're looking at uh, today is magnification. And so, Elizabeth, um, you're involved in the mag ministry, but before we get to that, do you want to tell us who is Elizabeth? I am Elizabeth, and my name is Elizabeth, and um, and I'm 29 years old. And um, I love Jesus, I love creativity, I love Netflix, I love Stan, um, I love going out for dinner, I love my husband Ben, I love Southside, that's a few things that incorporate my week. Yeah, awesome. Favourite place to eat? Oh, favourite place to eat? Or a place that you've eaten at recently that was really good? I liked the vegetarian pad thai at Jojo's in at West End. I really, really liked it. Yeah, it was awesome. really yummy. <laughs> I've never been there, so hey, after it's yeah, the food it was it nice. Yeah, cool. And so, like I mentioned, oh, so firstly, tell us how long have you been here at Southside? Um, yeah, first bit of that. Um, I think it would be about five years now. I've been at Southside. So when I um, got married to Ben, I came here. So yeah, that's when I started coming here. So yeah. Thank you. That's yeah, that's a long time. That's awesome. Yes, though. Yeah. I've only been alive 29 years, so five of that years is a long time, yes. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, you are involved in the Ministry of Magnification here at church. Can you tell us uh, what that is and also um, your part, the part that you're playing or the how you're contributing um, in that ministry? So, the Magnification Ministry here at Southside, um, main goal and purpose um, and the driving stuff behind it is making much of God, um, making much of Jesus um, in all of life. So, um, yeah, we see that the Sunday service is a place where you can come and you can recenter and reorbit your life around Jesus, but it doesn't just stop here, it pushes out into your life. So, we, um, Jeff heads that up. Jeff is the mag guy and he um, thinks a lot about and we think a lot about um, yeah how we can um, reorbit our life around Jesus here and into our weeks as well so that we're not just thinking about it here but we're yeah thinking about Jesus all the time because he is worth thinking about him all the time and my part within that so that's what you're trying to do with us Yes. On Sundays. Can yes. you tell us a bit about that? That's what we're trying to do. So when we're up here singing, we're singing together as a church alongside shoulder to shoulder with other people, but we're also singing to our God. So it's happening this way with each other, but it's also happening. We're, we're singing to God. He loves to hear from us when we sing, which is crazy because it doesn't matter how good you are at singing. He loves to hear from you and he created it. And it's just amazing that he wants to hear from us. And so I feel like if we spent every second of our whole lives singing to him, it wouldn't be enough. But we have four songs on a Sunday to sing together, maybe five some weeks. Um, And so that's like 20 minutes of our week together that we can sing to God. And so we want to encourage you um, to spend that time wisely alongside each other and encountering God because, um, yeah, he loves to hear from us. And we learn so much when we sing from him as well. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, it is super encouraging yeah, to hear your passion yeah, for making much of God. So can you tell us, um, as you've been 
yes, serving in this way, serving God, but also us. How has God used this ministry to draw you closer to Jesus? I think like each week when you think about how am I going to lead people to sing to God and think about Jesus, that like encourages you throughout the week. And I feel like I've learned so much. God has taught me so much in just that simple thing. Um, I also feel like it's such a privilege to stand up here and look at everyone else. Like it's such a privilege and it's such like I get to watch everyone sing to God. It's amazing. So I'm just so thankful for that. God has taught me so much. And, um, you know, you can tell a lot by what people's faces are doing. And I can see everyone's faces. Awkward, yeah. But I can see all your faces. And so it's really encouraging. Um, yeah, just I don't know what your week's been like, but when you come here and you're singing to God, it's so encouraging to watch that. I feel like it's such a special place to be up here to, to in encounter that so God has taught me so much in leading thinking about that and then also in the experience of being with you guys and singing yeah it's been amazing thank you for sharing a bit about that how it's impacted you um I'm going to pray for you briefly and then you're going to read the bible for us cool yes thank you father thank you for how you are a God who uses us as instruments in your hands uh, to display and to portray and to proclaim the beauty of Jesus and we thank you that we get to do that through music. Thank you for the MAG team. And thank you, Father, for Elizabeth uh, yeah, being up here and sharing her love for you and your son, Jesus. And, Father, we just pray that you continue to use this ministry to build her up um, in becoming more and more like your son. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read the Bible together. So we are reading today from Ephesians chapter 5, and we're reading two parts of it. So the first part is one verses 1 to 2 and then 15 to 21. So it'll be on the screen behind me as I read. So follow along with me. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then we skip down to 15 and it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. That was really helpful. Thanks for sharing that stuff. Just to know, church just doesn't happen, but what's going on? What are we trying to do here in our meetings? Uh, so thanks for sharing that story. Uh, as... Um, Brian mentioned, we have just started a series. Last week was our first week we kicked off talking about a dangerous vision. What is God's vision for us as a church, for us as individuals, and why is God's vision for us a dangerous thing? We kicked that off last week. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to uh, look at the website and have a listen to that talk. And now we're just breaking that down to those five areas of what does a healthy church look like, what are uh, areas that God wants us to be really growing in that that. Uh, bring us on that journey, the vision that he has for us. So this first one is about magnification. How do we magnify God or worship God in all we do? And what does that look like? 
uh, I should give you a heads up, if you're a part of Southside here, through this series, we're talking about what does it mean to be a part of this church. So at the end of this series, we'll be asking people, inviting people, if they want to be uh, members of Southside, like official members, uh, and we'll be doing a membership course at the end of this. So have a think about that as we go, go through this process over the next four or five weeks. That would be awesome. Let me pray, and we're going to have uh, just a look on what this means. Dear Father God, we thank you for this morning that we can gather here, we can meet with you as you promised, that you are with us, that you hear us, but you also speak to us. So Lord, help us now to have ears that are open, hearts that are open, Lord, to be receptive of uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's fair to say that uh, it took him and I a little while to work out how to speak the same language to each other. This became really clear after we were married. Our first year, our first Christmas uh, was a real tester for that uh, in that journey. See, we wanted to make our first Christmas as a married couple really special. So we gathered around the family. We had presents under the tree. We're opening up our presents in front of everybody. How do you make that a special moment to your new husband and wife? Well, I thought I was doing the right thing. I'd bought more than one present, so you know, surely I was going to be in the good books. And I can still remember the face, Kim's face, when she opened up and uh, first saw a set of flippers and a snorkel. That's a good present, right? Because I could imagine sitting on the beach somewhere tropical and we're going snorkeling. She'd love that. Uh, so I'm picturing that's going to work out beautiful. What else would you like? She wasn't overly impressed, but I got a second present, a backup present, right? But when she opened it and saw that it was a fishing rod, apparently she just wasn't impressed at all. Fishing, watching the sunset, after a day of snorkeling, surely these are creating moments of special times. It didn't go down so well. Apparently it wasn't her love language and stuff like that. It wasn't even a cheap fishing rod, I might add. Uh, I always claim that it was the most memorable present we've given each other in the time of our marriage. I keep being reminded of that present every Christmas, that uh, don't do that again. But um, I was speaking a particular love language, and the love language that she was thinking, uh, you know, I was expecting something a little bit different, and it threw a lot of things into confusion. And I think we do that. As people who follow Jesus or have a heart for Jesus, who call themselves Christians, we have a particular style when we think about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to worship God that we bring to that something that we think worship means this and we lay it out in our lives. But we never really stop to think what does God want when we follow him? What does God think a worshipper looks like? What does God expect us? What's God's love language you might say? How does he want to be communicate that we take him seriously so this morning we're, we're going to wrestle with that to big, dig a bit deeper because this idea of uh, magnification or worship how do you make much of God like magnification how do you put a big magnifying glass to make God bigger and us smaller in all of our life that's what we're talking about magnifying which is the same idea as worship how we worship God in all of our life make much of God that he is big in our lives this idea of uh, worship or magnification has a lot to do with uh, the, the Bible's language about surrendering, surrendering ourselves to Him. So we're making us smaller and Him bigger. So we're surrendering uh, ourselves. Now, I'm not sure what you think of that word surrender because it is a dangerous word. When we think of uh, worship, to surrender to God, 
uh, when you think of surrender, often images, if you like me, I think of uh, World War II guys, uh, soldiers surrendering to the Japanese. Surrendering means giving up all your rights, uh, handing yourself over voluntarily, and the Japanese uh, often put you in um, those death camps, basically, where they put you in slavery, and they didn't care anything about you, even if you died, if you had issues. That was a bad place to surrender to. There's lots of examples about that, surrendering in an army sense. You're making yourself vulnerable to the enemy in that moment. <coughs> so we go, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to make myself vulnerable to that. That's a dangerous place to be. But also we get the idea of surrendering and the idea of marriage. So when two people come together, when two people become one, we're actually surrendering to each other. We're saying, I surrender all I have to you in this oneness, in this unity. I'm surrendering my life to you, my heart to you. I'm handing everything over to you. And when you think about it, it's the same sense of vulnerability. I'm making myself vulnerable to you. I'm trusting you with my life, my heart, my stuff. But I'm bringing that to you, that idea of surrender. That also is a dangerous thing and a scary thing because often marriages don't work out like the way we hoped. That it's not a safe place and we get wounded by that. So when we talk about uh, worshipping, surrendering to God, it raises a whole lot of issues. What does that look like for me? Am I being vulnerable to God or handing everything over to a God that's going to misuse that or abuse that for me? How can I know that I can trust this God that I'm going to give my life to, to surrender to? We're going to spin, spend a little bit of time uh, in the book of Ephesians. We had a little bit, uh, bit of a reading there. But we're going to be asking that question, why make a big deal about God? Can I trust Him? Can I surrender to Him? And the second question, what does it look like? How should I make a big deal about God? So we're going to try and move through those two big questions fairly quickly. The first one, uh, why make a big deal about God? You know, is He worth surrendering to? Now... Let's just do a big flyover at the start of the book of Ephesians. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church. And this is church in the first century. This is one of the first churches. They're trying to get their head around what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a church? And the, the Apostle Paul's writing to them. Here's this letter. And it's a whole instruction book in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament about this is what it means to be a believer. This is who you are and how you deliver it out. And what he wants to show us right from the very start, so this is uh, chapter 1, verse 3, right at the start, and everything you'll see on the screen is one long sentence in the original Greek that he's writing. But he says, I want to show you that God is worth following, that he is a big God, and he's a God that you can trust. So he, uh, I'll just move through this really quickly. Praise to be God, praise be to God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of praise, I'm just going to pick out a few words Praise him. It's not like just sing a praise song for a few minutes. No, praise him. He's going to go on to explain. This is all of life. Praise, magnify, worship, make him bigger. Why should we do that? Because he's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, we see, when we think of blessings, we think of physical blessings, stuff we see around us. We're blessed with a family, a house, a job. You know, I'm blessed with all this stuff. But what, what Paul's saying, He's given you every spiritual blessing, not the seen, the unseen. He's given you everything. There's a new kingdom that he's talking about, an eternal kingdom. And he's given you everything you need for that kingdom of the unseen. He's given you every spiritual blessing. For he chose us 
before the creation of the world. Imagine that. Before you were even born, before the mountains were created, before the sun rose, he had in his book of life, I'm choosing these people to be a part of my family. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to draw them in. He chose us before we were even born. He adopted us into sonship through Jesus Christ. This idea of adoption into the family. We're not born as Christians. We're not born into uh, the family. But he says we're adopted into the family as sons. Now, I know that's a bit uh, countercultural. Why don't they say children? But he says sons. Because in the first century, if you're a son, particularly the eldest son, you're the favourite. It was just, yes, it's chauvinistic and all that sort of stuff uh, that we identify as now. But if you're a son, you get the inheritance, you get favour, you get everything. And whether you're a man or a woman, he's saying you're adopted in the family, not just as another child, not as the black sheep, you're a son. He's adopted you, he's brought you into the family and you're up there, you're his favourite child. And he's done that through Jesus Christ. That, you know, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son, Jesus, God's true Son, was sent to the earth and gave up his rights in his throne on heaven to come to the earth, walk the earth, to be killed, the death that we deserve because of our sin, so we might be able to have a seat in heaven where he was. It's like he's given up his sonship so we can take that position. That's amazing. Amazing that anyone would do that, let alone God didn't have to do that, but he would give up his son, uh, give up his son Jesus so we could be there. But he did it in accordance with his pleasure and will. This is what gets me. God never says, man, I gave up my son, I sent Jesus to go to the cross to die, and now look what I get. Bunch of rat bags, I wish I never did that. I wish I never made them my children. I wish I never brought them into the family. He never does that. God says, I, I sent my son to bring you into my family and that be, brings me great pleasure that you're a part of the family. It gives me great delight, that proud dad moment, but he's like that all the time. To his great pleasure and will, we're brought into his family and that he's given to us freely. So we didn't have to earn it, we didn't have to prove ourselves. If I'm good enough, if I'm religious enough, if I obey enough rules, I'll be in the family. no. He says, he's freely given us this citizenship into this new kingdom. Not the seen, the unseen, the eternal kingdom, the true kingdom of God. And he's done it freely for us. But he's done that through forgiveness, and that's important. If we're a part of the family, if we're going to connect, if we're going to have a relationship, there needs to be a forgiveness, there's no friction in the family. And he's done that through Jesus, by his death. But this forgiveness is a sign of God's uh, rich the richness of his grace that is lavished on us. This grace that says, you don't have to earn it, you don't, have to, you don't deserve it even, but through my grace, I'm going to pour it out on you and give you this high status. You are outsiders, now you're insiders. You are rebels, now you're forgiven. I see you as clean and blameless. It's a bit like when I see this verse, I think, how much do I run out of things, like run out of patience? How many times do you say that, whether it's a week or a day? I've run out of patience with this. Or I've run out of energy with this. I've just run out of everything. I can't deal with it. But yet God's grace is so big, he goes, man, 
Ross is stuffing up again. I've run out of grace on this guy. He never says that. His grace is so abundant that he just pours it out on us. This guy's a sinner, but I've got enough grace. I've got enough compassion. So I'm not just going to talk about saving him. I'm going to save him. And he does it through Jesus Christ. So he pours out his grace upon us. The sentence goes on. Uh, there's a lot of repetition here, just to reinforce the point, if you want to read it at home. But picking out a couple of other things, he gives us his Holy Spirit, which is significant. because He gives his, us his Spirit now, Father, Son, Spirit, they're all God, that God dwells in us. Sometimes we think that God's going to meet us at the end, yeah, at the end of our life, when we're uh, buried or cremated, then we'll meet God. But what God's saying, no, if you're a part of the family, I'm going to invest in you now and gives us his spirit. His spirit lives in us. So we have the real unity with God, a real connection through his Holy Spirit. And because we're sons, it talks about we gain the inheritance of this new kingdom. That's a great privilege. We were outsiders. We don't deserve anything. But even before we were born, God chose us. So I'm going to send my son to walk this earth, to go and live the life uh, he's going to live it perfectly, but he's going to be killed. He's going to be crucified on a cross. He's going to die the death that we deserve so we can become sons, so we can be brought into the family, so we can gain an inheritance of a kingdom, the eternal kingdom. We get it all. And I hope you feel the weight of this. What have we done to deserve this? Nothing. In fact, if we look at what we've done, we could think of how many reasons why we don't deserve this. We don't deserve it. But through this, Paul, Paul's writing to this church and writing to us saying, this God is crazy big. He's the creator of the universe, but yet he chooses you. He's, he's a loving God. So his love and compassion, his grace is big enough to cover your sin. His compassion is big enough to bring you in as a child of God, not just as an outsider, as a black sheep, but to sit at the table as a son, to, to be prominent in that. This is a big God. This is a big God who you can trust. I don't know whether you've experienced this sort of stuff that somebody's done this for you. You know, somebody might have shown an act of compassion, an act of love, they've paid for something for you, they might have helped you out. And it's, it's really nice when people do that. We feel loved when somebody goes out of their way to help us. And we feel like, that's a person I want to hang around. That's a person I want to know because that's a person I can trust. But we get glimpses of it here in people. But what about a God that's like this all the time? Always there for us, always accepting, always has his arms open for us. Doesn't matter how bad we are, he invites us to come back to him. How great is this God? How big is this God? Can we trust this God? Paul says, yes. He hasn't said anything else in his letter yet. This is the first sentence. I want you to know how big God is, how loving he is, and how trustworthy he is, that you can surrender to a God like this. He's a safe place. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to abuse you. You can draw near to him. In fact, you need to draw near to him. Because if you want to know God, so if you call yourself a Christian, uh, but you don't know a God like this and experience a God like this, Paul's saying you're missing out because this is God and this is a delight to be with. If I'm going to surrender to anything, I wanted to surrender to this God because if my expectations are this high, 
he exceeds those expectations to the roof. Right? He, he wants the best for me and he's giving the best for me. He's that good. Draw near to him. Surrender to him. Because he's a safe place. When, you've got, when you experience somebody or a bit of a taste like this in this earth, we, we are drawn to people that have this sort of compassion to us, that accept us as we are like that and to show us uh, this sort of love, love in action to us. And we're drawn to that. We like hanging around those people. But when you've got a big, such a big God, it's good to be drawn to them. And actually, you, it shapes your life. And something I heard recently is one of the best ways to uh, understand this is just looking at the universe, how the orbiting system works about how we've got this massive sun and the gravitational pull just pulls in all the planets all around it and everything's got its place because it's all sort of in sync and aligned. But it's only because the sun is so big that the planets will revolve and will orbit around the sun. And this is, I think, I find this really helpful to go, if God is that big, as big as what Paul is saying, he's like the sun and we should be orbiting around God. Not my place to make God orbit around me because that's saying I'm bigger than God. He should just be a part of my life. No, no, God is so big. I need to orbit my life around him. But also the other planets can indicate too that oh, what about my family? What about my work? What about my career? What about my money? Actually, if God is that big, all those things, all parts of my life, I want to see orbiting around God. Because he's at the centre, because he's, he's big, he's worthy, he's trustworthy. I want to commit everything, I want to surrender everything to him and follow his lead. Because I know he's got a much better plan than I have for my life. But see, sometimes if you're like me, we forget about this sort of image and we get on with our lives and we reshuffle things and uh, we get the media in our ear or advertising in our ear, I need this or I need to go in this direction with my life, I want to be successful. That sometimes we get the order of things wrong. Sometimes we put ourselves in the middle. I want to be the sun. My life is all about me. So I want my money, I want my family, I want God to just to serve me, to make me feel better, to make me uh, the king, if you like. I'm the big one at the centre of my universe. Sometimes we do other things, like sometimes we might even put our, our careers or our money in the centre. And you can see that in the way we live our lives. Okay, if, if money is the priority for me or my career or my future there, I'm going to revolve around because my career is so important, I need to serve my career. I want my family. My family's got to work around my career. I want my money. Everything's pointing to my career. I even want God to revolve around that to help my career. So God's out orbiting your career. It's all about that. We can even do it things like our family. Our family is number one in our lives. That we can put our family in the middle. To go, I'm going to serve my family. I work my job to serve my family. I'm going to earn money for their education because it's all about them and their future. I'm going to get God. Oh, God is good, so I'm going to get God to serve me and my family because I want my kids to have the best. So we actually make our kids the ruler of our lives. We can be guilty of that as well. But the universe that's in sync, the universe that Paul's talking about, is if you get God right, everything else will be right. The planets align. Your own life revolves around God. Your money, your career, your ambitions, 
your family. They're all revolving around God. This is kind of what we're doing with the baptism. It's not about the parents, not about the church. It's like, I want to bring my kids up knowing God. And we're going to do it as a family. But God is in the center because we've got a big God. Can we trust this God? Paul's saying, yeah, you can. You can trust him with all of your life, all of your ambitions, all your money, all your family even. You can trust this God. And we need to take a step back because this is a dangerous picture. It's a dangerous vision. Because now it starts a question, what are we holding as our idols? What are we worshipping? What, what are our lives revolving around? You have to ask yourself that. What are you living for? Is it one of those other things or is it God? And all of a sudden we realise this whole Christianity thing, it's much bigger than just a hobby. It's much bigger than an interest on the side. It's much bigger than just a label. But this, this big God demands my life. And I need to surrender to Him. And if we push back on Him, if we say, no, that's not what I want, we need to realise, even from Paul's words, that we're actually missing out. So I don't think it's always a deliberate choice to push God away. But sometimes it's just we get caught up in life and we forget about God. Paul's saying, if you want to know this God, have the joy and security and the assurance of this God. Draw near to Him. Make Him the centre of your life and make everything revolve around Him. Because His great love for you is better than anything else we'll experience. So if, his, if that's our attitude, if that's our heart, we need to be focused on Him and we can trust Him to surrender to Him. What does that look like? <coughs> How should we make a big deal about God? And that should be a capital G after saying all that. Um, whoops. Um, a big God, big G. How is that? How are we to do that? Uh, Paul goes on in chapter 8. There's a whole bunch of things in Ephesians. I encourage you, if you've got half an hour or so, just read through Ephesians and just soak it up, what it means to be having a life orbiting around him, to surrender to him. But if we go to chapter 5, Pick it up at verse 8, where Paul says, You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. It's like, what we're talking about here is radically different to the world. You know, living for ourselves, self-promotion. It's all about me in my lifetime. It's much bigger than that. So he's saying, you're brought into this new kingdom. You're now sons of God. You're now part of the family through God's amazing grace. Live, live like you're children of God, children of the light in a dark world. What does that look like? He says, you know, the fruit consists in goodness, righteousness and truth. The rest of this chapter talks a lot about uh, some very practical things, even our sexuality, talks about even laughing at dirty jokes, talks about how we speak to others, are we lying to others, are we being honest? talks about how we use our money and greed. Now, you can read all that stuff. <coughs> excuse me. We can read all that stuff and just think, oh, it's a whole bunch of rules. If I've got to be a Christian, I've got to you know, use my sexuality this way, use my money this way, and that makes me a Christian. I can get into the family. But no, it's all in light of this is now the new you. It's because you're a part of the family. This is how the family lives. Find out what pleases the Lord. <clears throat> He's not a secret code 
for he has a special plan for you that if you obey it he's going to be extra happy but no living like you're a child of god in often the mundane things the everyday things what we talk to people about how we use our money how we use our sexuality that all pleases the lord if we're living like his child worshiping him surrendering to him is an all of life thing and it's a very practical how paul spells it out if we had time we'd just go through the lot uh, but it's an all of life thing but he also talks about there's something special that happens in the meetings when we come together because i think elizabeth elizabeth explained it really well there's something that happens when we come together on a sunday that uh, pulls us all together we're, we're the family god's family that gather on a sunday and scatter during the week and sometimes during the week's really hard because uh, lots of things are in our ear bombarding us about go this direction that direction so when we come together we need to use this moment to focus on god to draw near to him so paul goes on this is how it looks like from verse 18 uh, he says do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit an interesting contrast there but he's saying um he's not saying don't drink so don't have craft beer at your next men's outreach event he's not saying that but he's saying there's something about getting drunk that you're you're handing yourself over to be led a particular direction if you're going to hand yourself over to something be led by the spirit in god's direction what does that look like to be led by the spirit what does it look like to to let god just take you where he wants you to go well, he goes on to say, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Oh, sorry. Uh, verse 19. Uh, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. This is what it looks like to be led to the Spirit. And you see, this is very uh, horizontal. We're speaking to one another. So when we're singing, we're actually communicating that to each other. We're encouraging each other. We're singing to ourselves, we're singing the words. Uh, we're building ourselves up we're also building each other it's a very horizontal thing what we're doing so it's great to, to do it together as a crowd it's great to do it together um, where we can feel confident enough to sing that's why we have the volume up a bit louder so we can't hear voices like mine come out but we're getting the volume to go hey we're building each other up it's also a great place uh, in doing that, we're actually speaking God's word. This is the role of the Spirit. The Spirit's role is to point us to Jesus consistently through the New Testament. Everything the Spirit does points us to Jesus. What does Jesus do? Points us to the Father. It brings us all to God. And what we're doing, even as I'm preaching, you might say, well, the preacher preaches the word of God. God speaks to us through this, um, that God works in this moment. It's the same as when we sing to each other. We're actually preaching to each other this makes things like song selection uh, really tricky when we choose our songs and it's not just a few guys here on the stage that chooses the songs it's our elders are on board with what songs we sing at this church we want songs that point us to jesus who draw us near the father so some songs tell the story of the gospel jesus lived he walked he went to the cross he gave me life by giving up his his life so we sing the gospel there are other songs we sing that are very reflective like the one we just sung um i can't remember the words of it now um but it's a bit repetitive and you go hang on we shouldn't be singing repetitive songs or some of the songs are very wordy which one's right we actually think both of them are good so we try and balance that out we want some songs to remind us of the gospel it's all about jesus 
We want other songs to reflect on. So we're going to repeat some verses. We're going, we, we need to stop. We need to go, man, we're children of God. His breath in our lungs, we pour out our praise. <laughs> I'm going to get it. Because we sing it so many times, I, I get it. So during the week, I get it. We sing to each other through Jesus. We get it. So we sing both. That's a little bit why it's important to us, our song selection, and we mix it up a little bit in what we do because we think both of them are a good idea. But it's not just this horizontal because with our singing, Paul also says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're singing to God as well. You know, we're told through Scripture, through God's Word, that He meets with us when we gather, that He's here with us. We expect Him to be with us, to speak to us, to listen to us in our prayers. We expect Him to, to delight in our singing. Now, when we sing to the Lord in this, giving thanks to Him, thanks for sending your Son, thanks for rescuing me from my sin, thanks for giving me life, it does allow us, and I think, again, Elizabeth explained it really well, that no matter what's been going on in our week, to refocus ourselves, to recenter ourselves, to draw us into God, to be reorbiting our lives again. If we've had a hard week and the world's trying to knock us out of orbit, out of sync with God, now's the time to go, you know what? God is important to me. God, I want to sing to you and praise you that you've saved me. God, you're an awesome God that you've accepted me. God, I want to reorbit my life around you now. So we use this moment. We use it. Because God is such an awesome God, such a big God, that, that we need to draw near to Him in these moments. Because the world wears us down. And I need to remind my heart, it's good for me to be near God. It's good for me to draw near to Him, reorbit my life around Him. It's good for me not to get distracted by the world. And this moment on Sunday, yes, it's gathering, but don't underrate it because it sets us up to be strong uh, for the other times of the week when we scatter. How does that play out? It doesn't necessarily mean that <clears throat> we've got to come here all cheerful and all happy and sing at the top of our voice, because sometimes we've had a bad week and that's been hard. But actually, I think the Bible helps us in that journey too, because when we read a lot of the Psalms, the Psalms are written as songs, songs to be sung. The start of Psalms are really depressing. God, pretty much my wife sucks. People want to kill me. I feel far from you. I'm missing out. What's going on? And he's singing this in a song to God. But then through the journey of the Psalms, he realizes and he reminds himself, he reorbits himself around God. God, no, you're awesome. You're faithful to me. You're dependable. I need to get my life back to you. And he sees the light. That's what we're doing with this. God is with us. God is with us what we, when we do. There's um, a lot of things challenge me in this journey because I think us, uh, if we want to give us a Presbyterian label or a Reformed Evangelical, our heritage uh, tends to lead us. And our heritage, I love our heritage. We we're very serious about the Bible, very serious about doing business with God. And we're very, uh, we work very hard at that. But I think it often leads us to a very head-tight faith and religion and a very head-type relationship with God, that we don't allow our heart to just really engage with God. And this is what Paul is saying. Let your heart sing to the Lord. It's got to come from stirring the emotions and getting into it. 
And as much as I love the heritage, I think some of the downside is we don't allow our heart to engage with that. It was brought to my attention, uh, there's a website called Babylon B, they're a satire group that helps us laugh at ourselves, a Christian satire group. And it had like a newspaper article saying, <coughs> the title was something like, Presbyterian Church Worship Service in Confusion. Because what had happened is in this church, it's a story, right? It's not real. But uh, it, in the church I grew up, it's very real. Um, the committee of management's trying to save money. I told you it was Presbyterian. They're trying to save money, so they put all the lights on, sensor lights that turn off after a certain amount of time if there's no movement. But during church, during their worship service, all the lights go out, and they're all confused about why would the lights go out, not realising the reflection of their worship is just very passive, just sitting down in the seats. Nobody's moving, nobody's getting excited, there's no joy, and the lights thought, well, nothing's happening here. The lights will go out. I laughed because I can relate to it. I think it's funny. But often it, it does kind of, as I said, I'm, I'm behind our heritage. But I think we need to acknowledge, hey, maybe we need to grow in this area. Because often I think we go, well, you know, I feel joy in my heart. But I don't express it on the outside. I'm happy to be a child of God in my heart. So I don't talk about it. Yeah, I feel privileged that I'm a child of God in my heart, so it makes no difference in the rest of the way I live my life. The way I think many of us act, and I'm guilty of this, I think when people look at us, we, we want to feel like this, but in reality, on the outside, we look like this. And it's just like, no, people should see that I'm joyful on the inside, but we're not allowing to get the outside to be expressed. But this joy that we've got, the worshipping the God of the universe who's reached out to us and called us in. We should be filled with joy. So, that should be expressed in all our service, in, in, in everything we do. The Apostle Paul says in um, Corinthians, he says, if somebody comes into your church service and doesn't know God, so they're an outsider coming in, they should see what's going on and say, God is really among you. They can see it. That if someone comes into here, they can see the way... We treat the Word of God, the Bible. They can see our prayers, that we're genuinely talking to God. We can see our singing, that we really believe this stuff. To say, God is truly at work here. I can see it. This is, this is God's dangerous vision for us. Not a performance. We're not putting on an act. But if our hearts are truly orbiting around God, if we truly realize who we are, it's the outworking. We don't, we don't want to bottle it up on the inside. We want to let it out. We want to express it in everything we do. So think about that, how our attitude to singing, you know, if we're hands in the pockets and barely moving our words, do we realise we're singing to God, singing to each other, singing truths, but reminding about who we are? Whether we're serving, I just put in that, um, that verse, uh, the next verse, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence is not sitting quietly in church. Reverence is how we relate to each other, whether we're serving in morning tea, serving in here, serving in kids' ministry, building each other up. The Apostle Paul goes on in his letter to talk about even in our marriages, that submitting to one another, that that's reverence for Christ. It's living your whole life with Christ at the centre, God as the Son, and we're orbiting around. Have a think about that. This is a dangerous vision, vision for us because it's countercultural. Everyone's going to be questioning, are you one of those radical Christians? 
those extremist kind of Christians that you do that? Well, on the one hand, you go, no, this is a normal Christian. A normal Christian takes God seriously. A normal Christian gets filled with joy. A normal Christian expresses it. Paul's saying this, not because this is a super Christian, but this is what it means to follow Jesus. I mentioned before about uh, a membership thing. So we're just going to put up each week just a couple of statements uh, to be a part of Southside. Uh, these are a couple of things that we think are core commitments. And to do with magnifying God, uh, we're saying, I seek to magnify God by offering my life to God as a living sacrifice. This is this surrender thing. Put your hands up to God. Go, I'm surrendering my whole life to you. The second part is by gathering with God's people every week to sing, to pray, to sit under his word so that I can regularly reorbit my heart and life around him and his purposes. Saying my relationship with God is so important, church is important to me to meet with his people so I can focus on him. This is something we'll be talking about, more about at the end, end of the thing. But I'm hoping this talk sort of explains those words. What are we talking about by surrendering to him, reorbiting our hearts towards him? And this is, this is God's dangerous vision for us. It's very different to the world. But that's what God's called us to. His kingdom is a very different kingdom. And that's what we're living for. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your amazing love that you're not a weak, small God that we can't trust, but you're an awesome God who loves us greatly and dearly, not just with words, but with actions, by sending your son Jesus to die for us, that he would give up his sonship so we might be called sons. Lord, thank you for this amazing love. And Lord, we want to say to you now that we're sorry that often we get distracted in the world, that we don't take you seriously that we don't make you a priority, that we think the world should revolve around us because we're the most important thing. Lord, help refocus us. Lord, if we don't know you, please reveal yourself to us so that we can see you truly are real. Your love and compassion is real and that we can experience that in this life. But Lord, if we call ourselves Christians and we want to trust in you, help, help us to just see what's going on in our world so we can reorbit our lives around you. We can draw near to you. Know we can trust you and know your plan is much better than ours. Lord, we commit all of us to you now in Jesus Christ. Amen.